0: So I want to begin with the question, uh, do you have an undefeatable purpose in life? Think back to January, and I'm guessing a lot of us made New Year's resolutions. Uh, How have those resolutions been coming along 11 months later? Uh, I'm guessing that a lot of us, and especially if we made resolutions, uh, we broke them. Stress in life came along, work got busy, Maybe even some relationships hit some bumps in the road and so emotionally you feel drained uh, and, and therefore you lack motivation to pursue those resolutions. And, and I say resolution because, and I point to it because it's a kind of purpose, right? We try to set up and define these purposes for our lives, but the question is how undefeatable are those purposes, meaning no matter what life throws at you, that you're able to Uh, with resolve keep moving forward in that purpose purpose a good purpose at least is meant to have a quality of pushing and pulling uh, that kind of power and effect in our lives good purpose and if you are able to discover an undefeatable purpose it's going to have the quality of helping push you along even when you don't feel like moving along why because of its pulling power. First, it has to have a pulling power that there's this beautiful vision. There's this wonderful, inspiring goal or some uh, just preferred picture of the future that you want to get to. That's your purpose. And because it's so worthy of a cause, it, it pulls you along. It, says, it creates something in your heart that you want to keep pursuing that. And then, therefore, there's a little push that because that picture is so worthwhile... It even helps you set up little day-to-day concrete goals to just step-by-step step keep moving forward. So purpose, when it's defined well, when it's when you pick a good purpose, and in fact, if you can find an undefeatable purpose, it has that power to push and pull you along forward. Now consider this thought. When, when we're honest, when we quiet our hearts and we're truly honest with ourselves, we admit that there is a numbness to our souls, that longs for an electric shock, an electric awakening to a purposeful life. We all want that when we're honest. The gospel, what it does then, it audaciously presents Jesus and following Him as the very injection of life our numbed souls need and long for here on earth and for eternity. See, that the gospel, it provides the most wonderful, in fact, I say confidently that the gospel is the one undefeatable purpose that truly exists in this life. It both pulls us towards this wonderful vision of who God is, of the life that He has in store for us in the new creation after this earth passes away. And also, God is so good that He wants to also grow us and mature us. And in fact, Scripture says that we'll be glorified to our glory selves one day. So it has that pull and... The gospel gives us gentle, loving pushes along the way to keep walking forward toward that. If you come to Trinity Grace Church, you know that I like to summarize the big point of the passage and the sermon that day as a simple prayer. So here's here's the big idea. and I hope that you'll learn to pray this prayer, the gist of these words in your own life. Lord, let my highest purpose in life be to enjoy. It starts there with enjoying, simply enjoying Jesus. But if you enjoy Him, then you're going to naturally want to follow Him. And as you follow Him, because you're enjoying Him so much, you're going to naturally want to share Him. Lord, let my highest purpose in life be to enjoy, follow, and share Jesus. If, if there's a cranky Christian, then they don't know Jesus. They haven't come face to face with the true Jesus. They don't know His Spirit and all His wonderful perfections and blessings, and they're not enjoying Him. So what I want to ask of the passage for the rest of the sermon is to basically how does Jesus Christ Himself first exemplify purpose? Because we want to look to Jesus. We want to look to Him first, how He lived out a purpose, and then as we're following Him, that, that rubs off on us, that flows through us as we're abiding in Him. So let's dive into the text. Picking up with Matthew's narrative, chapter 4, verse 18. First, we see that Christ, he found purpose even in his walking, in his day-to-day walking. Jesus, well, I'm sorry, first Matthew and and all the authors of Scripture, we believe that the Spirit inspired them, and every word, even the placement of the words and, and the order and everything is intentional. And so Matthew here He intentionally points out, he could have described it any numerous number of ways, but he decides to record the life of Jesus saying, while walking. It's almost casual. It's almost just a stroll by the sea. Jesus perhaps just enjoying a conversation with his Father in heaven, communing with the Spirit, thinking of his mission, perhaps singing a song or a psalm or a hymn, recounting Scripture, but he's walking along, Meaning, just going about his everyday life by the Sea of Galilee, which was a lake in the north of Israel, and he saw. And so he's going about just something very commonplace, very everyday, just walking. But then as he's walking, because he's in communion with the Spirit, all of a sudden his eyes open up and he sees something that he is meant to see. A few weeks ago, I was at Edwards Gardens with some friends, and we were enjoying it was the last weekend of, of just uh, the fall leaves in full glorious bloom before the weather would knock all the leaves down and so forth. And, and I remember as I was walking, I was uh, just really engaged with a converse, in a conversation with a friend. But then I noticed someone um, just in, in our periphery say, look at that red bird. And I looked, and, and how often do you see a cardinal in Toronto? Not often. And there it was. And, and I was walking... But I didn't notice all these small little beautiful things that I could have been noticing. Of course, I noticed the obvious fall colors, but, but small things like that. And, and I'm using that as an analogy to say that Jesus, here he was, what he exemplified was he found even walking in his day-to-day with in a, a, an alertness uh, in his heart, just a constant communion with God, so much so that when he had to see something, he saw what he had to notice. You know, I, I can't boast many of those experiences in my life, but I remember one clear moment in my life when I was uh, fourth year university, University of Toronto, and I was walking along Bloor Street around St. George Campus, uh, looking for some dinner. And it was a season in my life, year two, of just having been awakened, uh, having come alive to the grace of God, to this amazing, wonderful, life-changing love of Christ, and it's what sometimes we we call a first love season and so i was praying i was walking and just praying and saying god thank you for what you're doing in my life also props talking about who am i going to marry and what am i going to do after university just usual you know university age stuff and then i saw something it wasn't the woman of my dreams that wouldn't come until about 11 years later but all of a sudden i and i really believe it was the spirit that uh, that impress this on my heart, pay attention to all these passerbys. It looked very much like the picture that you see here. All these passerbys. And then the thought entered my mind, I wonder how many of these people have experienced Christ's love as you've experienced these past two years. And that began, that conversation continued to develop, and then it became a full-blown just prayer conversation with God. God, I, I bet many of these, the majority of these people don't know how much you love them. Don't know Christ. Don't know the gospel. And that led to, how will they know? Who will tell them? And that became a seed for me. That was the seed. The very seed. That very moment that has brought me 20 plus years later to this moment where I'm here as a pastor and continuing to preach the gospel. But it was going about my just regular university life. Going about Just from one lecture to looking for dinner, but being in communion with God. That naturally leads to the next thought here. Christ, He gives greater purpose to our mundane. To to just typical, daily, commonplace, earthly things. That's what we mean by mundane. And, And so we continue on in Matthew's narrative here. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers... Simon, who was called Peter, we'll come back to that later, and, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And I want you to notice some dry humor here. Okay? Matthew, he's just stating the obvious, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. It's like, okay, really? That that's it's that's kind of obvious, Matthew. He could have said instead, casting a net into the sea, because they were bored and they had nothing to do so they just randomly went out and they had hopes to you know strengthen their arm to be able to make it to the major leagues for baseball no why why does Matthew take pains to make this obvious statement in a redundant manner they're casting a net into the sea why because they were fishermen see Matthew is trying to get us to see that they were going about their mundane life they were going about their grind They were casting nets because they were fishermen, because that's what they do. It's their lot in life. They're just going through a daily routine. Josephus, a a Jewish historian, he reports that around this time, during first century AD, some 240 boats regularly fished the waters of the Sea of Galilee. So meaning that it was pretty crowded. That's, that's a lot for that size of a, of a lake, of a sea. And so even there you get the sense that Peter, Simon Peter and Andrew, they, they were part of a competitive grind. They were grinding it out. But what we also see here is that we're, we're going to see in a moment that Christ, what He took pleasure in doing is even taking the mundane and He's going to redeem it somehow. He's going to take all the skills and qualities that they picked up from being fishermen to use it somehow for a greater purpose. But what I want to make sure we do, just to pause and to find hope, just even in your daily grind, even if you're working a job that you so much don't enjoy, even if you don't feel that you're in your sweet spot in your career and and, and that you have a lot of untapped potential, just find hope. That God sees you in that, in the mundane, but that He takes delight in giving you greater purpose in it. So how does He do that? Next we see that Christ, and this is really one very important focal point in this passage, He makes man His purpose. Christ makes man His purpose. A focal point, And we would be remiss if we missed that Jesus, as He's starting out in His ministry, one of the first things He does is in the church we use the word evangelize. But basically, in business speak, it's marketing, it's sharing this wonderful good news, it's Him going to spread what He believes. But what Christ does then is He makes man His purpose. And, and for any guests and friends here today, uh, we, we put everything on the table. We, we, we admit We don't hide the fact that we hope that you will become Christian. We hope that you will see Jesus as a lot of the people sitting here around you see Jesus. So beautiful as the answer to all our life's questions and fulfillment for all the hopes of the world. And so Jesus, he goes out very confidently and he makes man his purpose. He makes one of the first things he does is to see. And this is what the spirit, as he was walking, the spirit awakened his eyes to these two men who are going through the mundaneness of life, through their grind. And Jesus, he knows now with the wisdom that the Spirit is giving him, with insight into their lives. And he calls out, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What Jesus does here is he calls out to these two men. And here specifically, they, because Matthew points out that they were fishermen, They were fishing because they were fishermen. There was an unrest in in their vocation. There was an unrest in what life was about for them at that point. Now notice how Jesus does it. Jesus, he calls out, and his one command, his, his invitation is, follow me. And then, look at clearly, Jesus puts the responsibility on himself, I will. I will make you fishers of men. Our job is to simply respond in faith, to respond in obedience and say, Jesus, okay, I don't have everything figured out, but I will follow you. This is a comfort, because how many of us here can confidently say today that we are fully the people that we want to be? This is a place of grace, and so even myself as a quote-unquote pastor, I am a pastor, but I'm not a perfect human being. (laughs) I have many flaws. Just ask my family. I have many flaws. But what comforts me is that our job is simply, day by day, to walk, to go about life in abiding in Christ, to follow Him in our hearts as best as we can, to stay connected to Him, to stay prayerful, to stay in Scripture, to to be conscious of Him. And then Jesus says, it's His job mature us it's his job to form us and develop us and so be encouraged no matter where you are at in life if you've placed your faith in christ trust that he has you where he wants you and he never will test you beyond what you can bear and he will what we believe is that if, if his grace has has gripped you then he will not let you fall behind longer than you should as well and he will move you along now, we also need to think about this analogy, fishers of men. Um, we were, I was talking about this passage with one friend, and, and he shared how uh, he was always troubled by this uh, analogy. Because when you and I think of fishing, we typically f- think of line and hook, right? A fishing line and a hook. And so when you think of fishers of men in that, with that picture, it's very violent. And it's almost very, it's deceitful. It's like, okay, I'm going to put a little bait of Some idea. I'm going to invite people to church, saying that you know we'll give you a little coupon at the door, right? And and some gift. And so we're going to bait them, and then we're going to you know put that bait out, and then we're going to hook them, right? We're going to violently just pierce them, make them feel guilty or something, and then then we're going to fight them and reel them in. No, that that is not the picture of fishing that is going on here. The picture of fishing is very similar to how some people still fish today. It's, it's this net that is cast out with uh, weights along the, the periphery and it sinks to the bottom and it, it's more the notion of casting out and then whatever fish, whatever pool of fish will come into that net and then there's a, a mechanism to uh, bring close the net and then bring up that catch of fish. So it's a lot less violent. But also here, if we're to just play out the analogy a little bit more, Fish, in this sense, was, I mean, they say, Josephus says in another place as well, that that being a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee was a good livelihood, and you could do well. And so fish also represented blessing, represented um, just being able to, as it represented livelihood for Peter, it meant just being able to do your life and, and to do something with your life because you are doing well. And so if we try to understand that analogy, When Jesus says, I'm making you fishers of men, it's more this notion where because someone is transformed by the gospel, because someone is transformed by Jesus and his grace, and that is such a good thing, then you want to continue to cast this net of the gospel and see more and more men, more and more human beings also be changed and transformed by this wonderful grace. And as their lives are transformed, then there's supposed to be this natural multiplication because who doesn't want to share something good in their lives? When you take a step back and you try to understand the Bible from a big picture point of view, what we need to understand what's helpful is that then Jesus came to redeem the original commission from God to Adam and Eve. See, God, from the very beginning, He was intent, He was always intent to see His children multiply. His family would grow. His first human children were Adam and Eve, and their job was to multiply and fill the earth. But we know that they made a mess of that, and sin entered. And so Jesus comes now, again, also to multiply, to see more and more men transformed by this gospel in a multiplicative manner. And fill the earth, not with physical children born of flesh and blood, but spiritual disciples who walk by faith. I love what Rebecca Pippert says. It's a great book if you haven't read it. I encourage you to pick it up. Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. And she says, she diagnoses well, that our problem in evangelism, which simply just means to share good news, is not that we don't have enough information for people who grow up into the church or have been part of church for a while, one of the common deterrents to share your faith after a little while is that you get thrown uh, at with hard questions. And, and then you kind of cower back because you feel like you're not smart enough. You don't have enough information. But she's saying that our problem in sharing about Christ is not that we don't have enough information. It is that we don't know how to be ourselves. We forget that we are called to be witnesses. A witness just simply recounts what they have experienced, what they saw, what they heard. We forget that we are called to be witnesses to what we have seen and know. Not not to what we don't know. The key on our part is authenticity and obedience. Just following Jesus. Not a doctorate in theology. We haven't grasped that it really is okay for us to be, want, to be who we are when we are with seekers, people who are investigating Christianity. Even if we don't have all the answers to their questions or if our knowledge of Scripture is limited. I love that encouragement from her. And she's saying just basically, in other words, just follow Jesus. And if you're enjoying Him, then it shouldn't be difficult to share about Him. I remember with one of my cycling buddies, one time we were riding and he was just sharing about, it was just a casual stroll on the bikes and he started opening up about some stresses in his life, some anxiety. And so I just threw out there, I just casted the net. I said, well, you know what works for me is um, just, I, I pray to Jesus. I just said it for what it is, just matter of factly. Now, he didn't have follow-up questions. He did say, that's cool. That's cool for you, right? And then he didn't have any follow-up questions, so I didn't press on it. But, but at least I casted the net. And I just felt like I was just being myself. That's what we're talking about here. But now we also see that Christ, how, how did he exemplify purpose? He gives purpose beyond our culture. Where do we see that? Well, first, this is important because we're all defined one way to define your identity is your culture. We're, we're all defined by our culture, whether it's your ethnic culture, your work culture, sometimes church culture, maybe it's, it's the, the, the club you're a part of, or just we, we, are, we are our culture. Culture is who you are. But what Christ does is he gives purpose even beyond our culture. Another way to say that is he gives us the deepest identity, We see this as we pick up, continue in the narrative, verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. And now notice here that Matthew, remember, the authors are intentional in what they include. He doesn't repeat here, Jesus, we have no reason to conclude that Jesus made the same invitation to James and John. He didn't say to them, I will make you fishers of men as well, even though they are fishermen. Instead, Matthew takes pains to include the details that James and John, they were brothers, and that they were the son of Zebedee, okay? Meaning, first, even James, the son of Zebedee, this is very uh, Eastern, that the firstborn, the firstborn son is first associated with the father, because he was the pride of the father, and the fact that Zebedee, his name is mentioned. You can, that, that kind of standard picture of a proud dad and his two boys following in his family tradition, his family business. And so family was important here. And the family business, the family, the, the family uh, livelihood, and the family name, right, their culture. Jesus was about to challenge something different in James and John. Every one of us It's a personal walk with Christ. And every one of us, God is wanting to do something individual in you. Every one of us has different issues, different idols, different temptations. And so for uh, Simon Peter and Andrew, we're led to believe it it was discontent in the grind of life, the mundaneness of life. But here, the challenge for James and John was their culture. And so, We see here that God's grace is working in them that they're willing to even immediately, immediately leave the boat and their father. Let's chew on this thought together. The rub of the gospel, the difficult part of the gospel, is that we are called to love Christ more than this temporal world with all its beauty and pleasures our own family, and yes, even our own selves. Black and white, that, that is the call of the gospel. To love Christ more than all these things. And for, when you hear that for the first time, that's difficult to hear. In fact, even in the gospels we see that people, when they hear a similar message, they turn away because they said that message is too difficult. Well, let's read the second part of this thought. But when you see the surpassing beauty of Christ and what He's truly done for you to go to the cross in your stead, you realize the rub is actually the deepest rest. To to throw yourself completely into the love of Christ and to rest there, to love Him more than all these other things, it's what will actually give true meaning and perspective on the rest of your life. And so you realize when you see the surpassing beauty of Christ that the rub is actually the deepest rest that this world has ever known. Now this is real because my closest uh, friend who doesn't follow Christ, and I say with hope and prayer, yet, one of his sticking points is, well, Albert, I kind of want to believe and everything you tell me about Jesus is attractive. But does that mean that I won't be with my family in eternity if they don't believe? Said so just matter of factly, yes. I can't do that, Albert. I'd rather be in hell if if hell is real. I'd rather be in hell with my family forever than to be apart from them. Now, at least he's honest. At least he's being genuine. I commend them for that, and, and so we have great conversations, because we both just speak so honestly with one another. But therein is, is the exact challenge that Jesus is giving James and John. He knew for them that this was the, the fork in the road. So we need to ask them, how is Jesus' purpose, and, and how is Jesus himself and, and the purpose that, that overflows from him? How is Jesus beautiful? surpassingly beautiful. Well, first, let's look at a description of Jesus here. See, Jesus, this is in Hebrews quoting an Old Testament uh, prophet Habakkuk and describes of Christ, but my righteous one, Christ, will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Meaning, Jesus, not even one thought ever shrank back from the Father. And the Father God in heaven could not take pleasure in Christ and receive him as our substitute on the cross if even for one iota of a thought Christ shrunk back. And what we believe is that Jesus fulfilled even this prophecy, that Jesus being the righteous one who himself lived by faith and his Father, and the Spirit, and the kingdom, that he did not shrink back even once. I hope that you will see with me that Jesus, he not only walked, but he kept walking. Those three years when he began his public ministry, he kept walking until three years later, he started to walk into Jerusalem. And he walked step by step, carrying his cross up that hill called Calvary to Golgotha. And the only reason why he stopped walking was because he was stopped dead, nailed to a cross for our sins. I hope that you'll see with me that Jesus, he gave up his sublime splendor in heaven. His glorious throne found Himself in human form here sharing our weaknesses, the mundane of earth. Why? Because He so longed for our mundane to be redeemed. To know that even in your grind that this is all working towards ultimately something eternally glorious and victorious and where you will be so satisfied looking back on your life when you're on the right side of eternity. Let me give an analogy. Um, let me compare it to Bianca Andreescu. She's a Canadian household name now because she made history, if you don't know, winning, being the first Canadian woman to win a U.S. Open and I think already probably right up there in one of the most uh, decorated or successful Canadian women's tennis players. But imagine, imagine if her life her career, was just to go through the regular season, the the regular tour, and never get past the first round. Never to grind, to practice, to fight through injuries, never to get past the first round of tournaments. Never to taste glory and championship status. Never to to reach that point. In fact, just her latest uh, tournament, she bowed out early because of injury the final, you know, just WTA championship thing for all the champions at the end. Imagine just going through the grind. See, Jesus, I want you to see, and I hope you'll see with me, that, that he not only gave up his sublime splendor so that our mundane could be redeemed, that we're not just going through the grind, but we have a hope of living for something greater than this. And as we also have Christ's purpose where His purpose is man to bless humanity with this grace and this gospel, that you'll see with me that Jesus leaving His Father in heaven, the pain of that compares nothing to the pain that John and James might have felt in leaving Zebedee. Not only until you see Jesus doing that for you, will your heart begin to melt So let's wrap it up with just some quick practical ways to live this out. I know we, we all need help. So how do, I, how do I experience this then, Albert? How do I put this into a- action? How do I experience Jesus' purpose for me? You're going to find as you walk with Christ more and more and more, he always starts with the heart. And so first, let Christ see you. Let Christ see into your heart. And let him challenge you. His his challenge is always good. It's it's not to make you feel guilty or condemn you. He will challenge you just as he challenged Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John. But stop hiding. Stop putting up walls between you and God. Stop hiding behind busyness. Stop hiding behind titles and your career and your ambition. Let Christ see you just as he saw these two brothers and the other two brothers. And let Him speak into your life. Perhaps even right now, there's a thought that's forming. Okay, does that mean for my life I need to do this or approach God this way? That's the Spirit beginning to see you and challenge you. But also have the hope that Christ, He wants to redeem you. And so as you sense God's grace working in your life, let Christ redeem you. We can't just gloss over the fact that Matthew and the other Uh, gospel writers too, they refer to Simon often as Simon Peter. Why? Because especially through the life of Simon, Jesus wanted to make a good example of someone who was so immature, unholy, rough around the edges, had a lot to work on. But Jesus looked into his life, saw him, and so much so saw his redemptive potential that he gave him a brand new name, Peter. But oftentimes, symbolically, he's referred to as Simon Peter, meaning he's in between. Until Christ returns again and we're glorified, he's always in between, leaving his old self and growing towards his new self. And so that's a hope for you and me too. Be encouraged. We are all Simon Peters in Christ. But that's a good thing. And let Christ continue to redeem you. And what that will look like is that we need to let Christ lead us. To let Christ lead us. The clear calls here. Follow me. So clear and simple. Follow me. And immediately, immediately they left. We're always going to have to leave something. Whether it's to leave our ego at the door. Leave our, our just certain loves in life. We're going to have to leave something behind to follow Jesus. But let Christ lead you. But remember, as we focus on Christ, and just rest in Him, wait on Him, whatever we have to leave behind, as we see the surpassing beauty of Christ, it will be, become less and less difficult to leave that behind. I want to end with just a picture of just what it's like to follow Jesus, I think. And uh, something that I hear often when I go jogging or bike riding with my kids is, Daddy, wait up. And in those moments when I hear it, do I just all of a sudden switch it into the hardest gear and just, you know, put on my trained leg power from road cycling and just zoom off ahead? No. I slow down. And I just go at just the right speed for my kids to catch up. And then, at times, I'll just go just fast enough to push challenge them a little bit. And before they know it, they've they're got greater fitness, and they can go faster and longer. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. He will keep in step with you. He, he, will, he will lead you at his pace, in his way, in his timing. And so, as a final thought to encourage you to just wrap it all up, love what Mark Jones says. Our love is undoubtedly imperfect, but God, in his kindness to his children, accepts a sincere love as the fulfillment of our duty to love him with our whole heart. Lord, let my highest purpose in life be to enjoy, follow, and share Jesus. Amen.